Welcome everyone, I'm Heath. If I'm Jay. And this is a Host of Horror special episode. We are discussing our top five films of 2021. Now, this is our list, no one else's list, and we're going to try and stick as close to non-spoiler as possible. But again, this is our list, so if there are movies on here that you think definitely should be, either we didn't get around to checking them out, or we just didn't care for them like you did. Jay! <laughs> of course he's gonna start with me <laughs> all right so for my honorable mentions 2021 has been a pretty tough year for me mostly because i feel like everything post pandemic has been such a creative boon of different things so so far this has been hard for me to come up with this list so i have a couple of honorable mentions that i've been switching around up until like the last minute so for me is going to be Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic. I really enjoyed it, but there, these top five I enjoyed just a little bit more. The Little Things, which it grew on me. So it's kind of like with Denzel. This was a Denzel kind of movie where he was kind of like there for a check. So the other characters kind of like revolved around him when it comes to acting performances, especially um, Rami Malek and... Oh my God. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. In what is arguably his most normal performance, even though that doesn't really say much because it's Jared Leto. And he forgot about Bozier. <laughs> he forgot about Bozier. So, you know, that's why it's not in the top five. <laughs> and, ooh, this one is a toughie. My third honorable mention will be, you know, is it, it'll be The Green Knight. The Green Knight? The Green Knight. Because. I love the creative choices that were going on, but I felt like even though it, it relies a lot on you actually knowing the whole story for you to fully enjoy it. And I didn't know like everything about this uh, story of Sir Gowan. So I just, I, I enjoyed it. It was very pretty, very creatively driven when it comes to how they use different techniques to convey the story and and all of that but like i said these ones in the top i just kind of edged it out just a little bit they are very good movies like i said my top five just kind of edged them out and it may or may not be controversial so who knows how it's gonna go mine's gonna be very controversial first off honorable mentions inside I really liked Inside, like, a lot. I couldn't... <laughs> the only reason it's not in my top five is because I personally, like, couldn't allow myself to classify it as a movie. So, but it was really good. It meant a lot to me. My second one is The Power of the Dog. This was really good. It was directed by Jane Campton and uh, was also written by her and Thomas Savage. And it was really good. The story was very good. The acting was phenomenal, especially from uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. The problem was... Wait, he's in this movie? Yeah. Oh, Yeah, he's wow. the uh, titular dick. Um, <laughs> but uh, the movie's very good, and it's got solid performances, especially from Kristen Dunst, who it's probably her best performance I've ever seen out of her. But the issue was, the reason it's not on my top five is because there were a lot of moments where I was bored. Like, it's a very character-driven film, and if it, I don't know, it needed a little bit more to keep my interest at several, several points. Huh. I never would have expected to see Benedict Cumberbatch in a Western. Yeah. Huh. It was good. You should check it out. Um, Another one, this one's very controversial, Uh, The Last Duel. 
Ooh, so okay he told me about this the, like the night before and um, i'm just like i'm excited for him to explain it to you okay so when this first when this movie first came out all i heard was it is a movie about the last government sanctioned duel to the death held in france over two men and one of them was accused of raping the other one's wife and I'm like, uh, okay, problematic right there. And then you have Ben Affleck and Matt Damon writing it. Like, uh, okay, just two dudes writing a movie this provocative. Gotcha. Um, no thank you. So after that, the movie came out, didn't even care to go see it. But a couple of people on YouTube that I follow um recommended the movie they really said it was very very good i'm like all right let me look into this and come to find out there is a third writer in this movie no one cared like none of the production or um um, advertising cared to even mention they were just like oh ben affleck and matt damon writing a film again remember the last time they wrote goodwill hunting Ooh, and it's like no motherfuckers nicole um holifson holifsoner Hollifsner, I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce your last name. Nicole also wrote this movie, and the movie is broken down into three different perspectives. You have Jacques perspective. He is the um, the uh, assaulter. Um, then you have uh, Jean's perspective, and he is um, oh, what the husband. And then you also have uh, Lady Margaret. Margaret. Marguerite, I'm gonna say Margaret. I'm assuming Marguerite did. Marguerite, that's yeah. it. Uh, Lady Marguerite, played by Jodie Comer, who absolutely kills this movie, and it's just it's very very good. And I really recommend people not just look at uh, Ridley Scott being like, "Oh, this movie failed because of millennials," and it just you know, two dudes writing it. It wasn't just two dudes writing it, and it's it's very good. Like, I, I really want people to check this movie out because it is very, very, very good. Because when you watch the movie, it you don't really care for it at first until you get Jodie Comer's Lady Marguerite's uh, uh, perspective. As soon as you get her perspective, it seems like, oh, shit, this is probably what actually 110% really happened. Like, both of these men are pieces of shit. It's, it's so good. And then the last of it, the last moments are where uh, both men have their little duel to the death. And everyone's, like, cheering one of them for being a hero. The other ones, you know, they're ripping his clothes off and hanging him dry up, like, up on a tree. And everyone's, like, really happy this happened. And then she's just standing there with, like, this blank look on her face, like... I never wanted any of this. I just wanted, you know, justice. This is not what I wanted. I didn't want my piece of shit husband to be a fucking hero because of what happened to me. It's good. I, I recommend people watching this movie. Uh, second honor or third honorable mention is going to be Spider-Man No Way Home. Incredible fan service. That's about it. And then I, this almost made my top five. Mass. Ooh. <laughs> this almost made my top five. This movie was so good. I probably will never watch it again, and that is why it's not on my top five. This is why one other movie that is number five edged this one off, is because I will watch number five again. I probably will never watch Mass again, but my God, the acting in this movie is so fucking good. 
you know, how did you find out about masks? Because I did not find out about masks until you said something. I found out about it through a friend. And then I was like, okay, my friend refused to tell me what it was about. He was like, no, just just watch it. Just watch it. Because I feel like it was the last duel all over again where like if someone would have told me what this movie was about, I probably never would have checked it out. Mm. 180% probably never would have watched it. And I'm so glad I didn't get ruined like The Last Duel. The only reason I watched The Last Duel is because it was being well received by reviewers that I trust. He was just like, Mass is really good. Well, what's it about? I'm not telling you. Just watch it. And yeah. No, it's really good. It is really, really, really good. The acting in this movie is fucking phenomenal by all four of the the actors. Jesus. I, I, it was good. Okay. It was really good. No, check it out. I'm not even going to ruin it for y'all because... When when you know when you find out what it's about, you're gonna be like, okay, this sounds really boring, and I'm not gonna watch this. No, please watch this movie. It's it's very good. So, we'll move on to our actual honest to god top fives. All right, let's do it. Okay, Jay. All right, so I might cheat on this one. Forgive no, me. no right. cheating. No, we're cheating. <laughs> we're cheating. Mostly because these movies come from the exact same studio. So, okay, okay, so. For my number five pick is going to be the combination of Luca and Encanto. No, that is cheating. That is no, it's not. That they're is cheating. You Disney. can't add two. No, they're fucking Disney. No, like, yeah, that doesn't matter. They're two different films. They're two different films from the same studio. They came out the same year. If you had to, so yeah, if you had to edge one out. Which one would it be? <sighs> That's hard. Okay, <laughs> so if I'm still gonna do both of them because fuck you, but <laughs> <laughs> but honestly. I think the one that was more impactful to me, they are, okay, they're both impactful in different ways because I got different things out of them. But I think my original one, if I was going to choose one, will be Luca. Mostly because I really identified with a lot of the themes that they had there. And it's weird because, okay, with Encanto, I really like the fact that it showed all of the diversity of Colombia. In a positive light, which, you know, no one really talks about Colombia in a positive light at all. Unless well, you're talking about Shakira. Was it Colombia? It was they, Colombia. They never, like, addressed where it actually was. It was they just, never, like, South American. Yeah, they never uh, addressed it. But if you look at, like, the promotional materials, it's Colombia. Uh. Mm-hmm. But um, Colombia, I really like the diversity about it. So I felt kind of personally seen it. Well, I'm not really, like, Colombian. But, like, the fact that there are dark-skinned kids, dark-skinned people in Colombia, that's really cool. But... I really identified with, like, the whole theme. Okay, they weren't necessarily inherently queer themes of Luca, but my queer ass felt so many of the... I I related a lot to how Luca and Alberto's relationship was, so I really felt something like that, and the message about, like, you know, acceptance and all of that. This, Of course, it's, like, simple. Plus, if you want to be real, neither movie had really high stakes Akanto had slightly higher stakes than Luca but I'm kind of happy that the stakes weren't really that high for Luca because you just need a comfort movie sometimes Yeah, and I really enjoyed Luca as a comfort movie. Filmmaking wise I think it was very beautiful very pretty too but you expect nothing less from Disney Pixar you know what I'm saying? So that's the reason why that's my number 5 and let's go on with yours Okay, so my number five is going to be Mass, and also... 
calls. <laughs> you look just fucking with you. <laughs> All right. So my number five is a movie that I had been waiting to come out for two fucking years. I have known about this movie before there was even a trailer for this movie. And I was so upset that due to worldly events caused the movie not to come out until this year. Dampening your press. But I didn't know how to feel about this movie at first. And I was sitting here going back and forth between it and Mass. And I was like, Mass is technically a better movie. But I will definitely be watching The Green Knight again. So my number five is going to be David Lowry's The Green Knight. Let's talk about it, okay? Let's talk about it for a split second. So we watched uh, The Green Knight together, right? And all of my points still stand. But I still felt some kind of way about it because... I didn't really fully enjoy it like I thought I would, but the more you think, it's a very clever movie. You think about it, it's a grower, and I think it grew on Heath more than it grew on me. But I think we were able to get the similar like feelings out of it. You, you have to enjoy David Lowry's style of filmmaking to really enjoy this movie, because this is very much a it's a story. I mean, down to even like every little thing that happens comes with a title sequence of the next event. And David Lowry does that a lot with all of his films. They're all story-esque between Pete's Dragon, a ghost story, uh, the old man and the gun. He has a way of making you watch a movie like you would read a book. And if you're not into that, you're definitely not going to be into that. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the old man with the gun. I think that's the name of it. I'm not a huge fan of that one, but Ghost Story and Pete's Dragon kind of blew me away with how good it was. And I really enjoyed this movie. I watched it and I was like, okay, I really liked it. Probably not going to make my top five. And the more I sat on it, I was like, dude, this was so good. This was so very good. And it makes me just want to like get really stupid high and watch this movie. It was very trippy. (laughs) It was a very trippy film. And I think that was the point because it's a, what do they call it? A dramatic telling? A dramatic telling. A dramatic adaptation. So if you thought one movie was like a stage play, if you thought The Last Duel looked like a stage play, The Green Knight takes it and amps everything up to about 10. Yeah. Mass would be a really good play. Like I could see Mass being a play because it almost takes place in one central room. Mm. I mean, it's really good. Um, but yeah, no, this is it's literally it's his style. I mean, because Ghost Story is like you know Ghost Stories you would hear in the past, but in film form. Pete's Dragon is literally the story Pete's Dragon, but in film form. Mm. He's just very good at that. Um, I think, and I really enjoyed this. But the Green Knight, yeah, I. It's- I really liked it. I'm definitely going to be watching it again. So that's why it edges uh, Mass off my top five. Makes sense. Makes sense. Moving on to number four. So my number four pick. Ooh, child. <laughs> so this movie, I've been going back and forth between this, this movie and The Green Knight for my top five spot. So it's been going back and forth like the past two or three days, right? This movie... I think only etched it out because it's an amazing origin story. And for a certain massively successful movie universe, as they say, (laughs) it stands out as one of the best origin stories in this universe. 
and one of the best movies of 2021 on top of it. So my top four will be Shang-Chi and the Seven Rings, and the Seven Rings, and the Legend of the Ten Rings. All right, so I'm gonna start out. The only thing that I don't really care too much about for is Aquafina's performance. And I even hate to say it, even though I don't care about the bitch, I really enjoyed her performance. She is a great actress, even though she relies a lot on like pretending to be black. But aside from that, I think the way that they portrayed um, Chinese culture and on top of that, the way that they handled the Mandarin basically did away with the horrible shit that they did with Iron Man 3. <gasps> I like that. Eh. This is way better. (laughs) (laughs) I really think that this is one of the best ones. And it's a Marvel movie down to its core. But I feel like the coming from a different perspective of, you know, Chinese cinema, taking all of the elements of Chinese cinema and bringing it to this great, great film. Was it? Was it? um, Destin Daniel Cretton. I've never heard of this director before, um, Shang-Chi, and now I really wish I would have, because I realized he also directed Just Mercy. Just Mercy? Just Mercy. Yeah, just, and I did not know that. Just Mercy is really good. As that, see? That's an amazing movie. It's a very good movie. And like, honestly, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that was the same director either. Me neither, because so. it's so different, but... I really like this movie and oh god so I think I'm slightly biased because I really like the a specific scene so the beginning scenes with okay this may be like a small spoiler but Wen Wu the Mandarin whenever he because he, it starts out with him whenever he falls in love this specific scene where he meets his wife and they fight together and it looks like dancing and the camera slows down and all you see is them panning the camera panning and uh you see them just falling in love right there you can pinpoint the moment that they fall in love and it's just so beautiful and it ends with when we're just being like freaking bodied back (laughs) and it's like dang i'm in love and that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole film the characters are amazing the performances are awesome it introduces so many crucial plot points that will be very beneficial to the mcu and god i also i love me some benedict wong because he just does an amazing job with whatever he does like uh <laughs> everything he does is just great and now he's basically become like the meme is like this if this ain't got shit to do with me is a person it would be wong <laughs> and i'm just here for it so I'm very, very excited to see where Marvel takes Shang-Chi. And yeah, is my uh, top four. All right. So my number four is a movie that was going to be my number three. And it probably will be much higher once the part two comes out. As of right now, Dune. Dune is my number four. Oh, Dune is so good. Dune is very good. Uh, what what is his Denis? Oh, what is his last name? Vil. The, uh, it's, it's Denis, and it starts with a V. Denis that starts with a V. Yeah, that's his name. It's, 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 insert it's, French name here. No, it's Denis Vil 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 Vil
Villeneuve. Those wow, words we're not French at all. <laughs> no, okay. No, Those he's, words. He's a very, very. He's a very good director. Very good director. Honestly, I mean, better vocabulary. Phenomenal. Yeah. Iconic. Pr- Prisoners. Sicario. Um. What? What else has Blade he Runner. done? Blade Runner and Arrival. Arrival. Arrival is so good. Oh, he can do science fiction like it's no one's business. And this movie is very, very good. The only issue I have with it is it definitely seems like a part one. So I, taking the <laughs> it literally is no, no, I I get one. I get that, but so no, is, no, no, I just but think so it's is funny. Lord of the Rings. I think it's funny because you're right. It's a part one, but you're right. It also feels like a part one. But no, like okay, Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring is a part one to a trilogy. But you could also sit down, watch that movie, and be like, damn, that was a good movie. Mm-hmm. This one, it feels empty at the end. It feels like I, I need more. I want more. Like this isn't the, I, I'm not satisfied with just watching this. It feels very unfinished. Exactly. So it very much seems like a part one rather than a standalone movie, and that is the only thing holding it back from uh my from the number three spot, and but it, other it's very good mm-hmm. visually. It's very good acting. Is very good. The the storytelling taking a long movie or taking a long story concept like Dune and making it seem fast paced without really rushing through everything is mind blowing. It's phenomenal. It was so good. I enjoyed every minute of watching that movie. Also, let's talk about Timothy Chalamet's what Timothy Chalamet's performance because. Honestly, I feel like this is this year. This is his year. One, like he has been in so many movies, and he's been praised for his performance so many times. And I, I think, I think he's the next it it person I'm, in Hollywood. I I just want to talk uh, about. I really love his character. I really do. I just want to talk about my future wife, Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> Dude, I don't oh, know. Oh, she is what, such a badass. I don't know what it is with her. Like ever since I saw her in Doctor Sleep as Rose the Hat, just mm, mm. No, she was a total badass mm. in this film, and I drink her bath water. Okay. Uh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, another thing that I also hated was the fact that obviously they're setting up Zendaya's character to be a part two. Like they're setting her setting her character up to be like a main crucial plot point to uh, part two, right? I hate that the marketing made her out to be so way more integral to the first movie than she actually is. Cause it's giving me very much Jared Leto and the Suicide Squad. Well where he was promoted heavily. Yeah. But he's only given at least in a theatrical cut, about eight to ten minutes. I think it was the way for WB to try and get kids to go see the movie. Like it's the same thing, like, oh, we're doing a Suicide Squad movie, but the Joker is popular. Oh, we're doing a Dune movie, which not a whole lot of kids would probably know what the fuck Dune is, but you know who kids do know? Zendaya. Zendaya ah. and Timothy Chalamet. They know both they know the both of them, so So I think that's why they, they did that. I It's all it's all money. That's all it, it is. It is. And I think the reason why I didn't mention it is because of the fact that it did feel empty. It felt like a full, like the more I thought about it, I love Dune from a technical standpoint. It's a beautiful, technically done movie. And it's just the story, as much as the story is well done, it does. I, I kind of hate the bait and switch because I feel like if they were, 
if they were honest about it and doing it as a part one, maybe I would have felt a little bit better about it. I understand why well, they didn't. But even, it's still it's like WB it didn't even greenlit part two. They so they literally they only they, greenlit it like after like right after the success of the, of the yeah the after first it one. after it made money. So I feel like WB didn't have confidence in it. That's I. That's the only problem I have with Warner Brothers is if they don't have confidence in a movie, they're not going to back it up a hundred percent. And now look at them, <laughs> tail between their legs. Yeah, but I just feel like if I feel like if they would have just went ahead and just filmed both movies back to back, no, we'll never. That get That would have been. It would have it, been perfect. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Had way more footage to work with, especially because think about it. We'd be watching part two this like the same time the same right like almost right now next year mm-hmm. the same thing but we'll never get another lord of the rings we'll never get a three film epic filmed back to back and released like that we'll never get that we barely got that with uh infinity war and endgame they filmed that right back to back so but they are they already had movies proving that it would be good yeah they had the clout to to do it i mean hell they a better example they didn't film the nick fury in credit scene of iron man until after you know uh test footage came back and they were like oh yeah no people are really enjoying this i did not know that yeah no that was not originally the plan like they were just like yeah we'll do iron man oh people really like iron man no we can do we can do other movies All right, moving on to number three. All right, so my number three is... (laughs) So, I already low-key teased it. It's Spider-Man No Way Home. Ew! Eat my ass. (laughs) Anyway, I really enjoyed everything about it, and I think what did it for me is the hype. Is there's so much hype surrounding it that it naturally got me hyped up to see it, and I honestly did not get disappointed. And God, was I feel like with Spider Man being one of the biggest movies, if not the biggest movies of 2021, I think it just adds on to how much crunch time it took for this film to get made, especially with all of the different kinds of leaks, all of the just everything surrounding it on top of us being in a panini press we were just i think it was just time and i really think that it was well worth it because i really think that even with all of the last minute changes that they made to no way home prior because a lot of the things that happened in the film some people had to get like either superimposed in or they had to like do some reshoots in order to get those done but i think it was well worth it maybe a few things that were like weird plot points but that's always a thing with MCU movies, so I'm like I'm kind of more willing to forgive it because there's always plot holes. Heath does not forgive him as much as I do, but I'm the nicer person of the two, so you know take that for what you will. But overall, I just really enjoyed it, and I really think that I just really think all all together that movie was great. And fan service aside, I just think the fan service actually worked out because I like the chemistry of most of the people in the movie there's a lot of chemistry and it shows it shows it was good I, i'm i'm saying this in the least spoilery spoilery way possible there's a lot of chemistry it was good um first half sucks second half is amazing so therefore it's it's good that's and just my opinion though it see i think the middle was kind of like 
the weakish part, but it was like not even that weak. It was like a high, uh, and then goes back up to a very strong finale. I don't know. Like the the very first half of the movie is just like, hey, have you seen the trailer? Want to watch a long version of it? I mean, <laughs> it gives you a nice little tease uh, for what's to come. So, but yeah, that's my number three. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't really for this one, it probably would have been an, another movie. <laughs> probably Dune. But, you know, someone already has Dune in their top five. So I don't want to, like, be that guy and just copy whatever he puts. I don't want to be the one copying the homework. So Speaking of that guy, we're going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum here. My number three is Justice League. Yo, okay. So I like the fact that it was so opposite because i think the only other movie that could have topped spider-man when it comes to the superhero genre besides shang chi is justice league so i am not an mcu fan i actually hate most of the mcu movies i think they're borderline basic but i am a dc fan but there's a reason why mcu makes more money JK, yeah JK. because they, do that. because they're just gonna be like yo people like comedy and flashy lights they're going for kids. Pretty, pretty, pretty shiny, yeah, right? shiny. <laughs> but DC, I don't know. I Even like a bad DC movie, I'll take that back. No, bad DC movies are still bad. But I prefer a lot of DC uh All right, before movies. we go into this, what is your favorite bad MC, uh, not MCU, favorite bad DC movie? My favorite bad DC movie? I honestly kind of like Batman v Superman, but I feel like it's just only iconic not good but iconic <laughs> i i like what they tried to do with it until they did it if that makes sense it makes so much sense so i would say my favorite bad dc movie would be shazam because it's fun it shazam's a lot of fun but you hold up we go fight after this anyway <laughs> it's not a good movie oh it's such a good movie it's, it's fun. A, it's, a com- it's a comedy. Yes. And it's different. It's, people only think it's bad because it's different from what the rest of the uh, DCEU it seems a lot. Done. It seems a lot more like a, a Marvel movie. It seems like, hey, we're just trying to make our audience laugh and show them pretty lights. What's substance? It was substance? actually decent, too. I mean, it was okay. It was yeah. decent. It's okay. Anyway, <sighs> Justice League was amazing. It actually made me tear up. And not in any way you would think. Like, oh. whatsoever. What made me tear up is watching how badass the Warriors of Themyscira were. Oh. Dude, I'm not going to lie. When Steppenwolf showed up... Okay, so this movie made me completely get rid of the Josh Whedon shit. Anyway, so... But Steppenwolf shows up, and he starts fighting the uh, Warriors of Th- uh, Themyscira. And in the Josh Whedon cut, it's just kind of... He shows up, he gets the box, done. No, these bitches put hands in his life, and it made me so happy to see women portrayed as badass warriors. Maybe there's some bad bitches there. Like, let's, let's be honest, there's some bad bitches there. They, they whooped were some warriors. ass. They were some warriors. Oh my god! And, and just being okay, like the whole little um um keep away with the box where like he was chasing him down, and he would kill one, but she's okay with being killed because she got the box away. Like it just. Grr, dude, literally watching that movie makes me, or watching that one scene makes me so giddy, I start tearing up. And that is, that sums this whole movie up. Like, 
there's not a whole lot of substance, but there's a lot more substance than just your basic popcorn film. Mm. Um, there is a little bit of stakes, and it does seem like it's setting up something that we're never, ever going to get, which is really, really sad. But for me, as a DC fan, as a person who never thought that he would see in the year 2021 Starro the Destroyer on an actual fucking movie, for me to see Flash use the Speed Force in such a way... For me to see Superman beat the shit out of someone in such a way. For me to see Cyborg, one of my favorite, favorite black superheroes of all fucking time. Him and Static are right there. For me to see him and how he actually is able to use his abilities in a way that I've never seen ever. Oh, this movie just makes me so happy. I loved, loved this movie. It made me nerdgasm so many times. Also gives a bit of closure for Zach and his wife. Yeah, I yeah. Think. It honestly, like, I usually, other than MCU movies, don't watch the end credits. I, I just don't. It, like, I don't know. It's just something about me. Once the end credits roll, it's like, okay, this is when we start talking about movies. But when you see in honor of, and I can't think of her name, but Zach, uh, Zack Snyder's daughter, when you see in honor of her pop up and Hallelu- Hallelujah playing in the background, which was her favorite song, me and my brother literally started crying, like not tearing up, fucking crying. And my mom was like, what is wrong, you guys? And we explained it to her. And then she started crying. Okay, so that hearing that all over again and just made me go back and experience all of that felt like for the first time again and my body just shivered like i got so much goosebumps from hearing that again my god and like with all its plot holes because there are and all its faults for the fact that i never thought i was going to see this and for the fact that me being a dc fan like just hero fan in general like i love the dc comics and the dc characters for me to be able to see this on the big screen and to have something like this, it just means a whole lot. And also for a filmmaker, you know, because that's one of my biggest fears is to have a concept, have something that I want to do and just have a studio ruin it for me to see that fans could sit there and beg for something to happen to get a actual artist's true vision of something and it come out, it just hits on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And that I is why that. it's my number three. All right. So, ooh, my number two, my number one and my number two have been painstakingly switched back and forth in my head for over the past day or two. I'm almost going to say F it and have them both for number one, but that'll be cheating. I've already cheated once. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to do it. My number two is going to be King Richard. Ooh. I know. And as much as I raved about this film, I thought it was perfect. The only reason why I kind of put this one out as number two is because, only because of like there's like this weird controversy right now about whether if this was actually the vision that um, the family wanted. So apparently there's a thing, I don't know if how true it is, but I heard, of course, the internet. I've heard a thing about how some people thought this movie was trash. Uh, the family thought it was absolute ass. And I was like, bruh, I I mean, I you, you know your family the most. But from what I saw, I thought that 
it portrayed the family as like very well but you know it's always like weird um no uh, it's hard to make yeah. a biopic and it's also it's hard to make a good biopic and also make the people that it's based around happy mm-hmm. because the people it's based around isn't gonna want to hear the truth or like how it actually was and if you do make it truthful or like if you make it like how they want it to see you may be taking out all the you know juicy parts the juicy gritty parts so and i also really love this film for the sole fact that they mentioned uh our hometown <laughs> for the fact that uh richard williams is from shreveport yeah, and didn't really born... mention it in a great light but i mean be, honestly let's be honest it's still fact, it's still not in a great light <laughs> like despite the fact that it's not in a great light were they wrong they weren't wrong exactly whatsoever. they were not wrong so i was it wasn't maybe great but it was accurate <laughs> it was yeah. accurate yeah sometimes you just don't like to hear the truth <laughs> That was an ugly pill to swallow, but I was like, you know what? They're right. Shreveport, <laughs> I love Shreveport, but Shreveport ain't shit sometimes. And, you know, don't dox us. Um, so, yeah, the, I thought everything else was phenomenal. Oscar, it was even though it was an obvious awards film, I think it's going to take it. I don't know if it's going to sweep, but it's going to take an award now. It's It has to, because... John Bernthal, Will Smith, the girls who uh, plays Venus and Sarita, the um, played the wi- the woman who played the wife. Everybody oh, in that film, she's so good, worked it. So yeah, that's my number two, and I can't wait to show you my number one. All right, my number two is actually a crossover with you. It's King Richard. Ah! No, honestly, King Richard was probably it was my number one for a really like since it came out since we watched it it was definitely i was like yeah no there has to be a movie like 10 times better than this movie to make it not number one and surprisingly there is but yeah it was yeah no until about two to three days ago this was number one for the longest time it's a very good movie it's hard to find a fault with it like i i can't they made tennis interesting i always thought tennis was interesting but I you're right. Well, tennis okay, is all right, all right, even more right, interesting. Right. It's not playing tennis. Like I can see how playing tennis makes it. In- they made watching tennis interesting. There you go. <laughs> not gonna it lie, was... they they made it compelling for a tennis watch to be to happen. Like I've never seen people care about tennis this much ever. Because it's also the fact that tennis is a primarily a white dominated sport. Oh, especially and, back then when mm-hmm. uh, uh, Venus was getting into it. So yeah. It's also the fact that most of this movie takes place around the time that, like, the early 90s. And, like, that final scene was, like, in 94, which me and Heath were born in. So that's also kind of funny. We're also old. <laughs> but it was, dude, it was a really good movie. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you basically said everything. Directing, acting, uh, Will Smith deserves an Oscar for this. And I also, I think the girl, uh, the one who played either, either one, Venus or Serena, I can't think of their names oh, right now, but they killed it. Job. It was so good. Um, I'm, I'm just going to cut it right here. Yeah. Number two, King Richard, because you pretty much said everything I wanted to. As you can tell, we also agreed on this. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. So my number one is a movie that I was not expecting. It was an un- they call it an unexpected love. I was not expecting to even think about this movie. I really wasn't planning on watching it. And then, like, I watched the review. It's kind of like how he got into math 
Like, uh, I wasn't even thinking about this movie. I wasn't going to check for this movie until I watched a review. And they're like, oh, we even expecting anything to come out of it. But I was blown away. Then I was like, frickety frick frack. So I, you know, went to the movies by myself. <laughs> sad face. And I watched the movie. And at first I was like, okay. But then, like, it just started to just become everything started to click. And you're just like, oh, there's a lot of mystery to it. Everything is very somber. There's romance. There's sex. There's murder. All against a uh, backdrop of a classic Hollywood film. So this is my number one pick, Nightmare Alley. You son of a bitch. You saw it without me. I'm actually very upset he saw this because someone didn't know about it. I knew nothing about it. He comes up and he's like, dude, this movie was so good. Well, what the fuck is it? It's a neo-noir with Guillermo del Toro as the director. Fuck you, you fucking asshole. So I mentioned it casually when we were trying to finish our movie watching for the year. (laughs) We're like, okay, cool. We'll try to watch it. And he was like, and he was like, eh, I don't know about watching it. And I was like, oh, I might watch it because by the time I watched the review, so I went ahead and got finally watched it. It was like, you know, theaters only. So it was like discount day at the theaters. So I watched it and I was definitely blown away from it. And this was after seeing Don't Look Up too. So I needed something to watch that movie out my mouth and my eyes and my brain. <laughs> so Nightmare Alley is, like I said, a neo-noir is based off of a 1947 movie and I think a novel that was released that year prior. And it's just a classic hero's tale of someone who's not necessarily a good person. But you see all of their, all of everything kind of, you know, go to shit, basically. And the acting in it is God tier. Like, it's a very nuanced performance, too, because everything is so... It's like if Guillermo del Toro tried to do his best Tim Burton impression, this is probably one of his uh, best works to date. And that's saying a lot because, you know, Shape of Water exists. <laughs> like Pan's Labyrinth exists. Um, Hellboy. Yeah. Hellboy. Hellboy is very good. Exists. So I really am was blown away by it. And I it just seeing how... The whole, like seeing how carnival style stuff was back in the you know early uh, turn of the century and all of that, and just all of the nook and, nooks and crannies of it, and just seeing how it's like show business, seeing how kind of show business is, and how cutthroat it is back in that day, is very perfectly acted. You know, seeing William Willem Dafoe, who basically was hopping right off the heels of Spider Man, giving yet another bomb performance because he is an amazing amazing actor best of our generation another Ron Perlman joint after seeing his hilarious take on don't look up that was he was one of the few good things about it um and then Kate Blanchett Bradley Cooper just just beautiful beautiful roles it reminds me of a classic film like to quote one of my favorite youtubers beyond the trailer is almost as if Turner Classic Movies was adapted into a modern form. It reminds me so much of classic Hollywood, and I'm low-key a sucker for classic Hollywood aesthetics, and even down to the way that everyone was lit. 
all of the women were very were lit very mysteriously or very boom like very light heavy was almost like a kind of like a, a, a thorough light that was shown on them almost was very neo-noir with the fact that you see just the slits of shadows you know the eyes and all of that those kinds of things i am a sucker for those little details in classic hollywood films and especially with the movie with so many just mysteries trying to uncover people's past and huh, i just i just really really liked it and i'm highly highly upset at the fact that this didn't go the route of some of movies from the last christmas season like you know like marriage story style where they had like a, you know a small release and then went wide then a new year because this will release opposite spider-man mm. the same day yeah even that's, though, that's probably going to give it trouble especially considering i didn't even know it was out like yeah, i've heard nothing of this movie i mainly only knew about it because it was going opposite you know opposite spider-man and it was just it was almost like a suicide mission honestly if you want to be real it was pretty much a suicide mission from this so that's why i think i'm really want people to watch it because i really think is is a phenomenal film oh i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna check it out because yeah guillermo del toro that's that's my boy that's he mm, that's good shit oh yeah good soup good soup. (laughs) good soup so i really think that this movie is gonna probably benefit from more word of mouth over the next month or so now that uh you know some of the hype from spider-man is dying down i think it's gonna get more um play so that was my number one, Nightmare Alley, directed by Guillermo del Toro. <clears throat> awesome. Okay, so my number one is a movie that, again, I was recommended to check out. I've heard of it, was not interested. Someone told me to watch it, and I went, all right, I got to watch a bunch of movies for the end of the year anyway. And I am so, so glad I watched this movie because it is one of the first movies that had made me cry the way I did in a really, really long time. I don't cry over live action. I'm more of like an animated person. Like as something about like, I don't know, like uh, your, your aunt or mom dies right in front of you and you have like a heartfelt moment with them. Eh, whatever. Suck it up, dude. Move on. Little girl in an animated movie loses her balloon. I will shed a tear because, goddamn, she's adorable and that that that's heartbreaking. But so I don't really cry during live action. Um, but Coda made me cry so fucking hard. It wasn't fair. I think no actual quote from me texting Jay at two o'clock in the morning. This movie, this movie made me cry three fucking times, and I don't appreciate that. I really wanted to see Coda because it was a Sundance film from the, uh, I think, Dish announced this past year's festival. And I was like, okay, cool. Ultimately, I couldn't get tickets because, you know, Miss Pinini Press. And I wasn't able to see it. And I'm glad that Heath was able to watch it because it sounds like it was amazing. It is like, so good. Dude, okay, so I've never heard of this director, um, Cyan Hedder. I've never heard of her. She also wrote it. She was a writer and director. I've never heard of this director. That's usually how it goes for uh, most Sundance films like that. And I'm a sucker for coming-of-age films. 
I don't know what it is, something about coming-of-age films I really, really enjoy, especially if they take a unique concept with it. And they really do with this one. So the movie is about this family of all deaf people, except for one, their daughter. And they basically use their daughter as a interpreter. You know, they have a fishing boat, but to be able to contact people on the radio and make sure, you know, everything's working on the boat perfectly fine and everything's safe, they need someone who can hear, but they can't afford anyone else. So they use the daughter. So the daughter wakes up at like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, every morning, goes out with her family to fish and then goes to school. And, and, the brother is like, you know, he wants her to leave. He wants her to get out of this because he sees what's happening. And the mom and dad are just like almost content with having her there for the rest of life. And it makes you sit there and go, you inconsiderate assholes. Fuck you. Y'all are awful. Knowing damn well they're deaf. <laughs> but I'm just like, fuck you guys. Y'all are awful. Well, she ends up getting this passion for singing. And thanks to a teacher, finds out she's really fucking good. Like, really fucking good. And he pushes her to audition for Berkeley. So, because of that, she ends up uh, joining choir, meets a boy, yada, yada, yada. And at the fall festival, after, you know, a bunch of shit happens where the family's basically like, you know, you, you cannot go to school. We, we cannot have you go to school right now. We're starting a new business. You know, we're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. Plus, we're also poor. We cannot afford to have another person help us out. We need you here to help interpret, like help us be interpreters. And you're like, God damn, these people are so inconsiderate assholes. <laughs> And then you get to the fall festival with the family there and the daughter's singing again. She's really fucking good. And the family's just sitting there and like they're looking around at everything but her because they don't know what to do because they can't fucking hear. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's actually kind of sad. And there comes a moment where it's just her and the, the dude and they do a duet and middle of the song all the sounds cut out. Now I'm watching this at two in the fucking morning with absolutely nothing going on. Like there is no sound in my apartment, but the fucking movie. And then all of a sudden, boom, noise cuts off. And you're watching this family looking around to observe what other people are feeling to know what to feel. And you're like, Oh God damn. I'm the inconsiderate asshole. Fuck. They really do need her. Like, it's not like a, like, they're being selfish, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, they really do fucking need her. Oh my god. And then, we, we you, after that, the, the daughter has accepted that she's not going to Berkeley. She's just like, you know, it's whatever. We're, I'm just, I have to stay and take care of my family. You know, she's sacrificing her future to help her family out and it's really fucking sad and the mom's okay with it the brother's not but the mom's okay with it but the dad is on the fence and it's not until after the festival that he sees people reacting to her singing they get back to the house the dad says i i need a minute you know i'm just gonna sit outside i, I just need a minute and the daughter ruby is, comes out and is like hey i'm just i'm gonna sit with you for a minute he's like okay and he asked her what the song was about that she was singing, the last one, the duet. 
and she explains it to him. And holding back tears, he asks if she can sing it for him. So she does. And this is right after all the sound was cut out. This is like the next scene after all the sound was gone and you're experiencing what they experience on a daily fucking basis. And he he says, can you sing for me? And she uh, he he puts his hand on as she's singing, puts his hand on her jaw. And then puts it right in front of her throat, not like choking, but like right in front of the throat to feel the esophagus move. And then he puts his hand on her chest and, and the back of her, her where the her back and uh, puts his ear right up to her chest. And he, the whole time he is bawling his eyes out because he can't he can't he can't hear what his daughter sounds like. He knows she's good because everyone is saying she's good. He can see the reactions on everyone's face, but he has no idea what she sounds like. And he, he no matter how hard he tries, he, he can't. He'll never know. And the next morning, he he says, wake up. He wakes her up real fucking early. And she says, what, are we, are we going fishing? And he's like, no, you're going to your audition for Berkeley. And it, sacrificing everything, sacrificing everything that they have worked for this entire movie he realizes that no his his daughter has a gift and she needs to pursue it and of course she does really fucking good the last scene is her singing at berkeley and and she's signing while she sings and it's just it's a it's very powerful it's this movie's very good this movie is very good it is my it is my favorite movie that came out this year Festival films have a weird way of just making you feel so much that Hollywood just does not really grasp. And you want these movies to be successful, to make a lot of money, but a lot of these are ultimately just like passion projects. They're like labors of love. (laughs) And hearing that is just fuck <laughs> that this is just such a phenomenal thing to hear that like a non it, this is basically like a glorifying indie film because that's what you know um sundance usually do they do indies so hearing that and that being one of your favorite films of the year and being so just drawn to it i love that i really do it, it was, it was, I really do. It was so good. Like it makes you laugh at certain points. The story—it's a coming-of-age story, but throwing it in with a a, a deaf family aspect—it's a whole nother thing. Most of the movie is done through the family, so it's mostly it's mostly signed. Like it's sign language they're using most of the time. It's not until she interacts with other people outside of her family that she actually speaks. Um, in that that moment, like I said, I. Live action, real life, I really don't get sad. I just don't. It doesn't happen. I may shed a tear or something like that, but crying, I just don't do. And I honestly, like, I have not cried like that watching a movie in a very, very long time. And it was, 
I wasn't I wasn't even expecting it. Like it it hit it just hit me, man. I when that dad and it's it's the back to back. It's me feeling like they're being selfish and then truly experiencing what they go through because being told someone's deaf is one thing. Having to interact with a deaf person when you can hear is one thing. Actually experiencing what they are going through and you knowing what the daughter sounds like but also just now realizing truly realizing that he'll never know what his daughter sounds it god it hurts it hurts so bad and him trying so hard to hear dude it just it really it fucking broke me in like the best way possible it was so good Best like I want this movie to win at least best uh, screenplay, like so it deserves an Oscar. A oh God, I hope to God that it does. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for those nominations whenever they decide that actually come out. Yeah, but yeah, this has been our top five films of the year. Yeah, twenty 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 one. Yeah, and now we're into the new year, and I'm. Are there any expectations you have for the year? Anything that you really want to happen cinema-wise this year? Cinema-wise, I... No. I want to see more indies. Um, That's about it. Like, honestly, after watching Mass and uh, Coda, I really hope there are... Because it's been a while since I watched an indie film. Like, a truly, like, indie-feeling kind of film. It's it's been a, like, hard minute. Um, But if... If they keep coming out with things like Mass and Coda, I I for sure want to just I just want to experience that because like I said, watching something like Coda I have not experienced in a very very long time, and I just I want more movies like that. I want more intimate, subject heavy movies. So how you felt about that is the exact same feeling I got from Nine Days. Yeah. Whenever I watched that, so. I'm glad you understand. You feel what I feel. Yeah. <laughs> now. So I'm, I don't know if I have any expectations myself either. I just need to dedicate more time to watching more films and more diverse films. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm also a very, it wasn't until this last like two to three months that I started watching more diverse movies. I'm very, I wouldn't even say picky. I'm just, there's certain movies that I'll go out and watch. I mean, I have I have a type, I have a genre almost. Um, and but ex- I get it. Experiencing the last movies that I watched, because literally it was just like, hey, I need to I need to make a list of the best movies, and I've heard a lot of people talk about these, so I'm I'm gonna give them a sh- chance. And if it wasn't for us doing this, I probably never would have saw them. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad. And I'm honestly also grateful that y'all have been along for the ride for these past three months, three months or so for this uh, last special episode of technically 2021. And this also doubles as kind of our first episode of 2022. Yeah, because so, it's going to be releasing um, on January 1st. Yeah. Um, And I'm just... I'm excited to see what 2022 has in store for us. Yeah, but I do know what 2022 has in store for everyone listening. 
we're starting out our monthlies. So we're finally going to be doing episodes each week, like people have been anticipating for so long. Starting out with... Haunted House Month! Woo! <laughs> and our first film for Haunted House Month is... Woman in Black, starring Daniel Radcliffe. And stay tuned. <laughs> Until then, this has been Jay. And I've been Heath. And this has been Host of Horror.